Here's Pastor Ed Ray. He knows every detail in our lives. He reads us like a book. But the miracle is he still loves us, knowing all that junk that's in there from our past. Jesus loves you, and he's speaking to you right now. Not because I'm special, but because he is. And that's why you're here. You're growing in the Lord. Maybe you don't even believe in God, and you just came because somebody asked you to come. We're glad you're here. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. Imagine having a sickness for 38 years and unable to take care of yourself. I think it's safe to say most in that situation would suffer with feelings of hopelessness and despair. We find a man in that desperate condition today on Growing Grace. Jesus is about to restore this man to complete health and we'll take a look at this inspirational story here in the minutes that lie ahead of us. Pastor Ed Ray joins us now in John chapter 5 with all the details. It really emphasizes man's weakness and God's power. We are in the Gospel of John, working our way through the Bible verse by verse. John chapter 5, and it's an amazing story about change about how we get in habitual patterns in life and then find ourselves stuck in a rut in John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem a sheep gate there, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. There's a Jewish legend about the water moving. Verse 4, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man, a specific man was there. This is an appointment with God. He doesn't know it, but God is coming to him. A certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered and said, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, <laughs> take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, said to him who was cured, It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered and said, He who made me well said, Take up your bed and walk. 
who do I believe, you or him? <laughs> and they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in this place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus that had made him well. And for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he had not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Let's pray. Lord, we've come this morning to sit at your feet and learn from you. We've spent time in worship Remind on ourselves that you are God. And now we study your words so that we might understand you better and love you more. Send your Holy Spirit to teach us. Give us an understanding mind and heart that we might be changed when we leave this place. We ask that in Jesus' name. And all of God's people agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. There's a tradition, of course, in our country. In 1687, Sir Isaac Newton wrote a book that encompassed this idea of change. It was called The Philosophy of Natural Principles of Mathematics. We don't know that title very well, but it was a world changer. It changed the way that people thought about astrophysics, about heavenly bodies, because it was a discussion of gravity and how gravity actually worked. And he had three laws of motion in it. The first one fits what we're talking about today. It says, quote, everything continues in a state of rest unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. One more time. Everything continues in a state of rest unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. Compelled to change. Most of us recognize the need for change in our lives. We also recognize that change is hard to achieve for a period of time, permanently even more difficult. So we are looking at a very important section of scripture where Jesus points to this subject of change and how it can be achieved in our lives spiritually by trusting in him that he is the source of the power for change. So let me remind you of where we are in John chapter 5. Jesus comes to Jerusalem, the city from the north. He's been up in the Galilee region. And he comes back and he goes very purposefully to a place called the Pool of Bethesda. Now in Hebrew, the word bet on the front of it, those letters means house of Bethesda is mercy. So he goes to a pool called the house or the place of mercy. And you'll remember that mercy is not getting what we deserve, but getting something better. Justice is getting what you deserve. So therefore, I never ask for justice. 
I always ask for mercy. A very close word to mercy is the word grace. Grace means unmerited, unearned favor with God that he just gives freely. His grace is coming down right now in this place. Those who receive his grace, Romans 5.17 says, and his gift of righteousness, we don't have any righteousness, but his gift of righteousness, those who receive his grace and his gift of righteousness shall reign through the one Christ Jesus. What a verse. What a promise from God that if we would accept his gift of grace, which is coming right now into this place because we're studying God's word, if we will accept that, then we will rule in life because he'll take up residence in our heart. So Jesus has come to this place that's known for God's mercy. It's near the northeast corner of the city of Jerusalem. And today there's another gate in that general area that's called St. Stephen's Gate or the Lion's Gate. This is a picture of the pool, literally the same pool. Somewhere near that spot, Jesus stood. It's down, we're looking down into one of the two pools that were there. They were excavated by a German archeologist in 1888. There's a wall around it that still stands there today. People had come to this place looking for a miracle. It's a legend and it's not, in the, it's not a truth that's found in the Bible. It just records that people were coming because of it. It's like Lourdes in Southern France. People go there to get healed or Guadalupe in Mexico City. And who's to say? Because people were there because something happened. And so hundreds of people are there around these pools waiting for the water to move. And they'd see some bubbles and then they believed, as we read, the first person that got into the water would be healed. Jesus comes to that pool surrounded by needy people. Whenever Jesus comes into a crowd, he always looks over the crowd and he reads every person as he does this man, as he would you, as he does me. You see, he knows every detail in our lives. He reads us like a book. But the miracle is he still loves us, knowing all that junk that's in there from our past. Jesus loves you, and he's speaking to you right now. Not because I'm special, but because he is. And that's why you're here. You're growing in the Lord. Maybe you don't even believe in God and you just came because somebody asked you to come. We're glad you're here. This guy came and Jesus knew him. Knew him as, I believe, the most needy person in this crowd around these pools. It's the person he's interested in. The one with the greatest need he has an appointment with. Does the man know it? No. He just comes every day. For almost four decades, 38 years, he comes to this pool. But Jesus is planning to have an appointment with him. He has an appointment with God. He doesn't realize it. 
Yes, the mercy and grace of God shines through this story in John chapter 5, and we'll see that as we move along in the second half of today's lesson from Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace. This section breaks up into three parts. The multitude, the first four verses, the man, five through eight, who is impotent, and the Messiah, nine through 18. Now, John is an unusual book in the Bible. There are 66 books in the Bible. This is the only book that tells us, the author tells us why he wrote the book. This is what it says in John 20, 31. But these are written, these miracles in this book are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have eternal life in his name. So John says that there were thousands of miracles done by Jesus, but he chose seven of them to convince the reader, you and me, that Jesus is God, the Son, who came to earth. Now, if we back up one verse, the last verse of chapter 4, verse 54, it says, this again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. There are miracles, seven of them in this book, and we have already covered two. The first one, you might remember, if you were here with us in chapter 2, was Jesus going to a wedding feast in Cana, a little village in the north, in the Galilee. And there he was with his disciples, and his mother was there. And they ran out of wine. And so she comes to Jesus and tells him they're out of wine. And he says, woman, what has that got to do with me? And then she turns to the stewards, to the servants, and says, do whatever he says. And Jesus, I'm sure smiling, said, those water pots over there, fill them up with water. The servants go, okay, we don't need water, we need wine, but all right. So they fill them to the top, the very top. And Jesus said, now take some out and take it to the chief steward. And they did. And the guy said, this is the best wine I've ever tasted. And they looked at each other and went, what? Jesus didn't touch the containers. Across the room, he said, go fill those with water. And they did. They filled them with an inorganic liquid, H2O. You learned that in junior high science, right? Two hydrogen and one oxygen molecule. And it makes up a liquid that's the most common liquid on the planet. Five-eighths of the entire world is covered with water. So they pour water in it, and Jesus said, now take some out. And he turned it from an inorganic liquid, water, into an or organic. Organic chemistry means it has carbon in it. He turned that water into wine that had glucose in it, 
because that's what wine is glucose that was acted on by yeast and bacteria under the right temperature and the right conditions and it is turned over a period of time into wine. Jesus did it instantaneously without touching it. That's impossible. Unless you're God, unless you're the creator of the universe, and you made the laws of chemistry and physics that turned water into wine and 450 other compounds, tannins, etc., that are in it, he moved in another dimension. What? He moved outside of time, and he gave to that water a quality called vintage. And your brain just skidded to a stop because you know it, it was instantaneously added time. That's not possible unless you're God. You see, people think that science is anti-God and religion is anti-science. I'm a scientist. As a scientist for a long time before I came into the ministry, and God said, I got a great joke for the world. I'll take a scientist from one of the largest biochemical manufacturers in the world and turn him into a pastor and make him speak in the same town he grew up in. It'll be hilarious. Okay, so here's this book that's describing seven miracles. The first one's impossible. I wonder about the second one. <laughs> Just as impossible. And we covered that. Jesus was around the Canaan area, and a man comes to him, a nobleman. He's a royal family member. He's King Herod's family. And he's a dad, a young dad, with an infant son who is sick back down in Capernaum, 20 miles away. And he comes to Jesus and said, please come and heal my son. He's dying. You see, in the first century, the infant death rate was 90%. Nine out of 10 kids never made it to their first year birthday party. And smallpox was the main reason. So very old a major and very old a minor. I warned you, I'm a scientist. <laughs> Those two, a vaccine wasn't discovered until the seven, late 1700s. So this kid's got a death sentence. He's going to die. And this guy comes to Jesus and he says, please come and heal my son. And Jesus says, go home, your son is healed. I've never had a doctor tell me that. I go to the doctor's office and say, hey, sick, I need some antibiotics. He says, okay, well, here's the prescription. Take this to the pharmacist, pharmacist, and then come back and we'll talk about it in five days. Jesus said, so this dad's from Yukaipa. He's got a 10-month-old baby in Yukaipa that's dying of smallpox. And Jesus diagnoses what's wrong with him changes his immune system, makes it build instantaneous antibodies, and the kid's perfect. Dad gets halfway home, and the servants come and said, your son is healed. 
He said, what time did it happen? He said, about one o'clock in the afternoon. And the dad knew that was the moment that Jesus said, go home, your kid's healed. That's impossible. Science clearly says it's impossible. Unless you're God who made the laws of physiology and antibodies in the immune system and understands every single cell in your body. <laughs> it sounds like God visited Earth. Exactly the point. So we're about look, ready to look at the third impossible sign that God the Son did in those days so that you and I would put our trust in him so that when we die, we'll go to heaven for eternity. It's that simple. Why do we make it so complicated? He did the impossible because he bent the laws of physics and chemistry because he made those laws. Is that a cool truth or what? Gives me goosebumps. So today we're looking at the third impossible sign and it is having to do with the mechanisms of living systems. We call that physiology, muscles and nerves and bones and joints, and how they work together in one person without a touch. Verse 1. After this, after what? After the, the kid was healed, there was a feast of the Jews. We believe it's Passover. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem because 20-year-old and older Jewish men have to go to Jerusalem if they're within traveling distance of it for three feasts, for Passover, for Tabernacles, and Pentecost. So we remember that Jesus was talking to a woman at the well in Samaria, and we said it was probably in December, now it's four months later, because Jesus said four months and then the harvest. Now it's the harvest time, and Jesus is in Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, because Passover comes in April. Verse 2, now there is in Jerusalem a sheep gate. Sheep gate because they brought the animals in that were going to be sacrificed at the temple into this pool, and they would wash them. And it's called in Hebrew, Bet Seda, Bet, house of Seda, mercy, mercy or grace. So it's a place of grace that has these five porches. So the house of grace, because this guy is a guilty sinner and Jesus is going to give him a gift that he doesn't deserve. Just like he gives to any person that asks a gift of salvation that you and I don't deserve because he loves us. How can he love us when he knows all the junk we've been through? Got a bad memory? No. <laughs> he remembers very clearly, but he chooses to forget when we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and throw our sins as far as the east is from the west. I don't know why. That's all I can tell you. That's what scripture says. That's who he is. 
Thanks for being with us for Grow in Grace. We're studying the Gospel of John right now with Pastor Ed Ray. And if you joined us late or you just want to hear this again, go online to thepackinghouse.org. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. Or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. This program is made possible through the support of listeners just like you. We have an exciting resource to tell you about today. It's Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Grace is a word we love to hear, but many of us don't know what it really means. Sure, it's how God saves us, but it's also how we grow. Pastor Chuck Smith shares insights from his own life and reveals how grace changes everything in our lives when properly understood and applied. Just give us a call at 844-77-GRACE and we'll send this your way for a gift of any amount. That's 844-77-GRACE. We'd also like to hear what God is up to in your life. Is he using this program to help you grow in grace? We want to know. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's all the time we have for today, but mark this spot in John's Gospel and join us next time as together we grow in grace with Pastor Ed Ray. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place got to dwell with man. Sit behind and the cripples stand singing Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your.